Well, welcome. Welcome online. If you're uh, joining us online, uh, Anthony, thank you, brother. Um, one of my favorite memories about Anthony is uh, when, we, uh, when we traveled to the Grand Canyon. And uh, I got to see this guy lead worship on mountaintops and in valleys and around campfires and with his pants hanging too low and all kinds of different stuff. Um, but what you see is what you get from him. That last song that, that he sang, that's a confession of Anthony's soul. Um, um, oh, that we could all aspire to not be posers before God. I mean, to just be authentically who we are. I appreciate that about my brother Anthony. Um, next uh, Sunday, um, this, like a teaser here, Cody's going to be back next, next Sunday for one week. He's going to lead worship next Sunday. So um, maybe Cole probably won't be with him, but it's okay. I did get to hold him. I have pictures if you want to see them later. Y'all ready? Y'all ready to get into this? Hear the word of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul that seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God, bless the reading of your word. Unwrap its treasures before us. We desperately need a word from you. These people don't need to hear my opinions. They don't need to hear any thought that I would have unless it comes from you. So I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that your grace would cover every word that's said and that you might draw people to yourself today as we just kind of gush about your goodness. Because that's really my only goal today, God, is to get out of the way and just talk about how good you are. And in spite of kind of faith, in spite of everything that's going on in the world, in spite of everything that we might be struggling with, in spite of all our doubts, insecurities, all that stuff, in spite of that, may your goodness and your steadfast love just like your kindness, would it draw us to repentance today? We love you, and we're grateful to be here, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I told you, um, if you didn't know, if you didn't see the, the, the scripture passage, the, the book of the Bible that that passage comes from, how many of you would know that that, that passage came from the book of Lamentations? It's not people seldom preach about. I mean, Brock talked last, last week about how many people preach about, you know, the middle part of Job, like all those. Well, probably less people preach about Lamentations, chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5, okay? Only five books in this, in this book of the Bible, only five chapters in that book, sorry. And 
this is the only edifying part of the whole thing. It's like this beautiful pinnacle of Scripture about the steadfast love of the Lord. Of, I mean, steadfast love of, of God never ceases. New mercies. Do you know the context? Lamentations is a miserable book. Okay? Written in a miserable time in Israel's history. It's like one of the darkest periods of the whole country. And yet, these like five or six verses in the middle of this book scream the goodness of God in a way that no other passages do. Understand the context. Um, Nobody really knows who wrote the book of Lamentations. A lot of people, scholars would tell you maybe Jeremiah did um, because it's really similar to Jeremiah. It comes right after Jeremiah in the Bible. Jeremiah spent 52 chapters prophesying pretty much the fall of Israel. They call him the weeping prophet. I mean, everything he said was pretty much bad news about what's coming if Israel didn't repent. They didn't. And in Jeremiah chapter uh, 39, what he foretold actually happened. As uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, laid siege to Jerusalem and burned the whole place down. Destroyed the temple. um, Killed babies in the streets. Pretty much sent everyone into exile, took them captive. Left the very poorest of the poor there to fend for themselves. That was nice of him. This happened like 850 years before Christ came. So it's not like hope is right around the corner. And the book of Lamentations was written some 60 years after that. A lot of you watched kind of in horror um, last week as, as kind of craziness prevailed in our country around the Capitol. Picture that for 60 some odd years. Like, when worst comes to worst, and the thing that you think never could or should be done is actually done, and your whole country lays in waste. That's the book of Lamentations. They're lamenting the sad state of their, what used to be their country. So there's five chapters in the book. What I just read you is kind of the turning point. It's the, it's the hinge on which everything pivots because it's not circumstantial. See, it wasn't written from a mountaintop experience. It was written from a valley. I mean, the most desperate of situations. So we can, we can kind of moan and weep and, and all that stuff about how bad we think things are right now. When the book of Lamentations was written, for those people, it was the worst of the worst times. Okay? And yet, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. How could, how could you endure something like the author of Lamentations was enduring and come to that conclusion? Well, it's simple. God is that good. It's an in spite of kind of faith. It's not because things are working out in our favor. It's not because scoreboard says we're winning. It's because God is that good. Steadfastness is something that 
It's not, a, it's not a word that you probably use this morning. As you're eating your Frosted Flakes this morning, you're reading the back of the box and all that stuff. Steadfastness probably came up in the conversation how many times, Travis? Not one. Steadfastness. I mean, think about what that means. Steadfast means firm, resolute, unchanging, unwavering. The only thing I can equate it to is the fact that my mom is always on my side. No, even when I'm totally wrong, my mom thinks I'm the best thing ever because I'm her favorite. And why would you blame her? If you met my brothers, you would know. You'd understand why. They might be watching right now. We'll talk about it later. That mother's love that no matter what you do, guys, I mean, I got to hold baby Cole for the first time without a mask on couple nights ago and just looking in that kid's eyes steadfast I mean there was nothing I would ever do to hurt that child that's the kind of love that God has for us but he's so much better at it than we are because our love is conditional and our love has all these strings attached to it but the steadfast love of God for you today even in the midst of things you can't explain and you don't agree with and all that, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every day. I'm not a morning person, but I love mornings because it reminds me that God still, He's still in control. Guys, if you find yourself fearful today, If you find yourself thinking about and being consumed by things that you can't control, that you don't agree with, that, I mean, there is no right side in any of the debate that's going on in the world today. You know why? Because none of it's based on the kingdom. There's a kingdom economy that is still doing fine. And guys, it's time for the church to give up smaller agendas and step in line with the kingdom economy, okay? Kingdom things. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. There's no circumstances that can change it. You can't do anything to earn it. You don't deserve it. It will never expire. I said this in the first service. You know, I'm, I'm kind, of a, kind of a milk snob. You know, there are only certain kind of milks that I like. And if it's anywhere close, like within a week or so of the expiration date, don't ask me to smell it. If, you're, if somebody says, I smell this before you drink, never do that, okay? It's never a good idea. Why? Because things in this world are so fleeting. God's love is not like that. There's no expiration date on it. I mean, it's, it's never ceasing. Even when you don't deserve it. Even when you flaunt sin in His face, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Guys, you should never get over that, by the way. You should never go a day without thinking about how incredible a gift grace is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You know, His mercies are given kind of like manna was in the Old Testament. A day at a time. You know why you shouldn't worry? Well, because the Bible says not to. Like, um, Matthew chapter 6 says something about um, tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Sufficient f- for today or the troubles of today. Guys, 
God gives you mercies today for today's troubles, not tomorrow's. Some of you just need to rest in that. Because you don't know how you're going to get through tomorrow. you're, You're worried about it already, but there are going to be new mercies waiting for you tomorrow to help you take care of tomorrow. Today is all we're promised. This very moment. This book was, I already said, written in a really dark time. Um, The person that wrote Lamentations chapter 3 had watched his whole country and his whole way of life be changed. And there was no way out. There was no, it's not like, like there was a new regime coming around the corner. I already said we're 850 years from Jesus coming. And yet... Somehow this guy flips the script. Somehow in the midst of what he's walking through, in verse 21, he says this, but this I call to mind. This I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. See, the first 20 chapters, I mean the first 20 verses of of chapter 3 I mean, it starts in chapter 3, verse 1. I'm a man who's seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Who is he? It's God. He knows that everything that he's going through came directly from the hand of God. I mean, look at through the verse 20 verses. He has driven me. He has brought me into darkness. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He's, he's not afraid to tell God, exactly what he thinks. Remember last week Brock talked about Job and he said, God's not offended by your doubts. He's not offended by the fact that you don't understand him. You can be honest with him because he sees into your heart already. There's no, there's no sin in that. But the, the truth is, the author of Lamentations knew that he was in a situation because of his own sin. See, the, this... This all happened in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant where God said, hey, if you keep my rules, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. I'll bless you. But if you don't, it won't go well. And they didn't. Okay, so this is where this is coming from. They had sinned. They had rebellious hearts. They knew it. They didn't blame God for it. See, here, here's... Here's my first point of the morning when it comes to this passage that I I really think you guys need to hear. I think for the most part in the church today, we want restoration, but we don't want to really look at the cause of the devastation. We want restoration. We want it to be okay. We want God to come in and fix it. But we don't want to own the fact that no, all of us are like sheep and we've all gone astray. We all have our own stuff. We want to blame other people. We even want to blame God. But the truth is, it's easier to see God in tough times from a posture of repentance. When you can just, guys, you don't have to convince me I'm bad. <laughs> you really don't. I have a mirror. You know, I know, I know the depravity of my own heart. I know the thoughts that I have. I know all that stuff. I don't think I have to convince you that that stuff's in you. But what do I have to do to convince you to stop peacefully coexisting with the enemy? 
I mean, to, to, like, Jesus was really mad. Or God was really mad with the priests in the Old Testament who would say, peace, peace, when there was no peace. And guys, there's some of you today, if you're honest, you would, you would have to admit that you're peacefully coexisting with things in your life that you know are not good for you. That you know they're, they're against the heart of God. They don't edify you. They don't do anything except create this illusion of peace. Be honest about the reason for the devastation. If you don't like what's going on in your life, instead of trying to pin the blame on somebody else, just ask God, God, would you reveal to me what are the things in me that don't line up with your heart? And get rid of those things. Because no matter the circumstances, when you approach God from a posture of repentance, you can see His goodness. Because you know, no matter how bad it is, you know you deserve worse. You know, I mean, guys, I, I should bust hell wide open. And it's only by the grace of Jesus that I don't. And it's the same for you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never, ever come to an end. They're new every morning. Guys, I, w- I was so pumped this morning. I woke up at 5, I think 5.36... My alarm was set for 5.45. I've got this internal, you know, clock that, that usually it's pretty, it's within 10 minutes or so. You know, but usually when I wake up that early, I'm thinking, oh, this morning I could not wait to stand on this platform to just gush about the goodness of God. Because some of you desperately need to hear it. Because all you're hearing is fear. Whether it's pandemic-related fear, whether it's political agenda-based fear, Fear and divisiveness are flooding the world we live in right now. But you know what? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Guys, could I say that a few thousand more times until it actually started to marinate your soul? That, guys, that's the message the church needs to be shouting from the mountaintops. Not, oh, agree with me or go away. Agree with... Guys, there is so much of that that I have zero stomach for. One command I give you. Love people the way I love you. That's the goal. That's the, that's the mission. If anything, if anything else in your life is more important than that, then it's time to kick it to the curb. There is no political agenda that's more important than that. There's just not. This is a kind of an Old Testament passage. You know, it's already said it's, it's, uh, it's kind of in the Old Covenant. If you do this, then, then I'll do this for you. We live in a different covenant. You know that? See, Jesus did all the heavy lifting for us. And so now Hebrews says that we live under a better covenant. And, it, and it's all about his faithfulness. It's not about ours. And so, so how does this relate to us now? Does that mean that uh, we, we bear no responsibility for the bad decisions we make? That, we're, that we can just do whatever we want because Jesus has done all the hard work? Well, let's, I want us to look at two passages in the New Testament. Both New Covenant passages. And let's, let's look at two different kinds of suffering, okay? 
One's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the second one's in James chapter 4. Okay? Y'all okay? Russ, can I keep going? I'm going to try to talk faster so I'll get done quicker, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about his ministry of just taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which is us. He's talking about how hard it is, because it's not supposed to be easy. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Well, Paul was having it right here, and this is what he said. I'm going to read the first two verses and then like skip down to verse 7 and keep going, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, we feel pretty good about what we're doing here. We think we're on the right track. We're, we're saying the right things. We're doing it the right way. But then he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. If any of you have ever seen a clay jar, they're not pretty. They're not pretty, and they're fragile. It's like the gospel, it's like your life. Like my life in many days, it's not pretty. And it's fragile, it's got cracks all in it. But yet the treasure is still in there. This treasure is in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to, to, to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You notice it's there, the way Paul saw life, it was not about him, it was about other people. Guys, when your life becomes about you, you've missed it. When your life is about what you get, what you feel, what you deserve, then you're not living a kingdom life. Paul says, it's death for me, but it's life for you, and that's good. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise with Jesus, raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace abounds to more and more people. And it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It's about other people. See, I can't promise you that you, you won't suffer. And I can't promise you that you won't suffer for things that have nothing to do with you. But I can promise you this, the way you suffer matters. When you go through things that are difficult, the way you suffer matters because it, it increases grace for more and more people. It matters, even though I can't explain your pain to you, not one tear is wasted. Not one hurt is wasted when it brings glory to God. It's worth it. Paul finishes this way. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed 
day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, here's my, here's my fear for the church in days like today. Is that the nightly news is the most important thing. It's the thing that is, has your attention fixated on it and you're, you're fixating on what the next policy is going to be, what the next appointment's going to be, what the next political agenda is going to be, instead of focusing on eternal things that really matter. See, Paul's suffering in this passage was not his fault, but it was worth it. In James chapter 4, another kind of suffering is described. In James chapter 4, it's like, it's totally different. It's, yeah, there's suffering, but it's like a spanking that you knew you had coming. Like if you ever knew that you openly defied your parents and like your mom said, I wait till your dad gets home. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that. Most horrifying thing I've ever heard, wait till your dad gets home. That's what James is talking about in James chapter 4. And it's kind of really similar to Lamentations because the children of Israel knew they had it coming. They knew exactly what they had done. Maybe they didn't want to admit it and be as honest as they, they should have been about it, but they knew they deserved it. James is talking about a different kind of suffering here that does have something to do with their own behavior. James chapter 4, verse 1 says this, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And this is, he's talking to Christian people. He's talking to church people here. And he says this, you adulterous people. You know what adulterers are? They're people that have relationships with people they're not supposed to be in covenant relationship with. Are we guilty of that? Friendship with the world is enmity to God. Guys, I don't... That's that's not... If it ended right there, if James had just said, done, you adulterous people, get out of my face, that would be a different story. But he didn't. He didn't. He says... You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? You ever wonder why maybe you don't feel as satisfied as you should? Could it be that God has put his, the, the, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in your heart, inside you, to live inside you, and yet you find yourself in relationship with the world? With things that are not big enough to protect your heart. They're not big enough to live in for all eternity. But yet that spirit's within you, and, and he yearns jealously. He is jealous for you. 
I think that's, a, that's probably a pretty big source of a lot of dis- dissatisfaction in a lot of people who want, yeah, I want Jesus, but I want all this other stuff too. Good news in verse 6, but he gives more grace. As bad as you can be, he gives more grace. As awful as your thought life can be, as, as, as just dirty as anything you can muster up, he gives more grace. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this is what we're supposed to do, people. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. None of those things are popular, by the way. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Is it possible we're looking for restoration, but we're not willing to look at the cause of the devastation? Is it possible that maybe we're content to think we can peacefully keep coexisting with things that have no place in our lives and think it's going to change? Be willing to own your own sin. We have a we will statement here that says we will acknowledge our sin, but we won't be defined by it. We'll make war on it. Guys, if you're not engaged in that battle, personally, re-engage. Re-engage in in that battle and see if God doesn't meet you exactly right. It's not like you have to climb 100 feet out of a hole and find your way back to God. He's right there. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Draw near to Him. He will draw near to you. Resist the devil. He will flee. Guys, this is... This is your part to play in your own sanctification. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. He really does. I mean, there is nothing you can do to make yourself right before Him. But here, James clearly says, wash your own hands. It's not Brock's responsibility to wash your hands for you. It's not my responsibility to wash your hands for you. Wash your own hands. Clean your own heart up. You can do it. Because of the spirit that indwells you. Spend some serious time. If, if, if you're not satisfied with the condition of your heart today, maybe it's time to just do what my friend Ross King said in his song, Clear the Stage. Maybe it's time for you to just sit alone for a while. To burn all the decorations, to, to get rid of everything that's not important. And focus on the one thing that is. I can say this from personal experience. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, probably a month or so ago now, when one of the last times I preached, I talked about destroying my house. I talked about knocking walls down when my wife went out of town, all for the greater good of, of making this new room. And, and we're still in, in the process of that. Uh, that was back in October. In November, Angie had COVID. We still have no room, by the way. It's January. 
Half the floor's there. It's okay. It's all good. I'm not complaining. I did this to myself. I had no idea what I was doing or the toll it would take on my soul. Because it, it kind of set off this domino effect of a lot of things that made me into a person I didn't want to be. I told, the, I told the staff this last week, you know, it's because, I mean, they could tell. I mean, I was different. It's like the things that I used to have energy for, I, I didn't have energy. I got depressed. I've, for the first time in my life, I think I got depressed because the one thing I've always had going for me was this, is this totally unfounded sense of self-confidence that I shouldn't have. Like anything I wanted to do, I would think, oh, I could do that. Yeah, sure, I can do that. And I've lived my whole life like that. I mean, you can ask my kids. I mean, there are many things I do that make no sense at all. You should never do these things, but it's the way that I've lived my life. I've been willing to take risks that probably most people wouldn't take. And it's always, it's always turned out okay. But something happened when Angie got COVID and I was locked in that house for 24 days and I couldn't go anywhere. It's like I lost all of that. Like, my mojo was gone. Like, I didn't think I could play guitar anymore. I thought, I, I can't pre- You can't preach. I mean, nobody's going to listen. I mean, isolation breeds depression. And I think there are, I mean, honestly, I really think if it, if it happens to me, it's not like I'm a, some kind of superhero. Or something. I just don't get depressed. I'm, I just refuse to think about things that depress me. But everything changed. I think the church... It's at great risk of that happening all over the place right now. Because if you're watching online, God bless you. I want you to watch online, but it's, 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 it's not community. Community means you're, you're together with people. And it's important. And if this is the new normal for the rest of... It can't be the new normal. We were made to be together. We were made to be stronger together. And isolation breeds depression. And depression flourishes in the absence of biblical community. It, it, it just does. I mean, if you... I miss my small group. We hadn't been able to have a real small group in, in a year. And it's taken a toll on me, I would assume it's taken a toll on you if you've ever experienced real community. Guys, what I want you to hear me say today is that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new today. There is nothing off the table. He's still game to give you life and life abundant. Every bit of it is still there. Re-engage. Re-engage. Start warring for your own soul. Stop peacefully coexisting with things that are just poison for you. And take a step towards community. You, you will not regret it. Pray with me. Father, I pray that, that of everything that I've said, that the one thing that would scream the loudest is your love for us has never changed. There is no expiration date on it. There is... There is a, There's no conditions. We can't earn it. It's always been there. It's new and fresh every day. And so I pray against guilt. 
and condemnation, you say that there is therefore now no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus. What I'm, what I'm beating the drum for today is for an awareness that your love and your goodness have never changed. And that is the message of the gospel. That's what the church, that's the drum we should be beating. Forgive us for any smaller agendas that we've ascribed ourselves to. And let us get back to the business of loving people the way you loved us. That is my prayer for these people. God, I pray that there is no one that leaves this room today without the awareness that they are loved by Almighty God. They're loved for free. They don't have to earn it. Just like Anthony's song said, I pray that that we wouldn't be content with just being posers. But we'd be authentic with you recognizing that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. But you love us anyway. I pray that some people would get their hearts really low. A humble posture before you and be honest with you about the stuff in their own hearts realizing that there's nothing that you're, you're going to be shocked by, nothing you're going to be surprised by. But your mercies are big enough. They always have been, and they always will be. Let us live in them today. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Let's worship in response to the Lord.